Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast, I bring you the final part of my interview with Father Mike Deep O.P., the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's general promoter of justice and peace. But for now, though, I bring you a very brief news bulletin, so do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, 4HH. In your headlines this Tuesday evening, South African bishops won opposition parties of war rhetoric. Family as agents of mercy and harmony in Nigeria. And Egyptian Coptic Orthodox returned to Jerusalem. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Bishop Abel Gabuza, the chairperson of the South African Catholic Bishops' Conference, SACBC Justice and Peace Commission, has issued a statement calling on all political parties to avoid making statements that could incite election violence and civil war. The call follows economic freedom fighter EFF leader Julius Malema's interview with the Middle East-based news network where he threatened that the EFF would resort to violence and remove the government if the upcoming local government elections are rigged. Earlier today I spoke to Bishop Abel Gabuza. We are conscious that people are angry, that you know the slow pace of change, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of resentment and bitterness. A change for some people is coming very slow, and, and that is something that we need to accept. However, there is no justification for any use of language that incites people to um, do violence and commit acts of vandalism. We do not encourage that kind of language. We'll always speak of dialogue, that it is important for us as people to have dialogue and conversation. We as South Africans have known violence for many years. And therefore, as we celebrate 22 years of democratic rule, we need to be very, very careful about how we speak about things that really trouble us. And the anger and the resentment and the bitterness are there, but there is no justification for any form of violence whatsoever. Meanwhile, the African National Congress ANC has opened a high treason charge against economic freedom fighters EFF leader Julius Malema at the Hillbrook police station on Monday. Here is ANC spokesperson Zizi Kodwa. We are calling on the state to investigate, not just to investigate, but also to lay a charge of treason because he has been making these comments over a period of time and I don't think they must be taken for granted. He is in violation of the elections code, electoral code, which was signed last week by all political parties to committing themselves to a free and fair elections. The Economic Freedom Fighters, EFF, says it will defend itself in court against treason charges brought against it by the African National Congress, ANC. 
The Vice President of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of Nigeria, Archbishop Augustine Akubezi, has described the family as the stronghold of every successful nation. The Metropolitan Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Benin made this statement in his homily during the opening mass for the second national meeting of families held in Lagos recently. Archbishop Akubezi also spoke extensively on the last synod of bishops on the family as well as Pope Francis' new apostolic exhortation on love in the family Amoris Laetitia. And finally, Palm Sunday celebrated the day before yesterday by the churches that followed the Julian calendar saw an exponential increase of Egyptian Coptic pilgrims who have come to celebrate the rites of Holy Week in Jerusalem. According to the Egyptian media, in the current year, already at least 5,700 Coptic Orthodox Christians have reached the Holy City, an increase of more than a 1,000 units compared to the Coptic pilgrims who had carried out a pilgrimage to the holy places of Jerusalem in 2015. The growing presence of the Egyptian Coptic Orthodox in the Holy City marks the end of the prohibition to visit Jerusalem, which in 1979 had been imposed on the faithful by the then Patriarch Shenouda III. And that was a brief news bulletin right here on the Catholic View. Do stay tuned. It's still the Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas, 576am, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up next, we're talking about the Church and the UN with Father Mike Deeb, OP. Father Mike Deeb, OP, is the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's general promoter of justice and peace. Born in Valcom in the Free State Province of South Africa back in 1953, he holds a master's degree in theology, having also studied social sciences. For a major part of his life, he has worked with secondary and university student movements, particularly with those of Catholic students and with youth in general. He played a leadership and chaplaincy role, beginning with the White National Catholic Federation of Students and the Black Catholic Student Association, which merged in 1993 to form the Association of Catholic Tertiary Students. He was also a founding member of the Young Christian Students in South Africa and has been involved in many other Catholic structures of youth, laity and justice and peace. In addition, he has been active in several ecumenical organizations, notably the Ecumenical Action Movement and the Theology Exchange Program in Cape Town, the Standing for the Truth Campaign in Peter Marysburg and the Institute for Contextual Theology in Johannesburg. Through all these movements, he was actively involved in the events following June 1976 in the build-up to the formation of the United Democratic Front in 1983 and in the mobilization during the states of emergency in the late 80s, spending 50 days in detention in 1985. In January 2014, he was appointed by the Master of the Order to be the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations. And in October 2014, he was also appointed to be the Order's General Promoter for Justice and Peace. Today we bring you the final part of my interview with Father Mike Deeb OP.
Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the history of your job? Well, I've been there just over two years now, and um, two years is not a very long time in, in this sort of work because it takes quite a while to just get to know how things work and and where you can operate and and also to get to know people because until you really know people, you can't really have much of an impact in this situation. Since I've been there, the first year and a half, I would say, were taken with... Um, just trying to understand the UN system and it was complicated by the fact that I was not living at a UN center I was based I am based in Rome and I just go from time to time especially to Geneva which is our main focus area center and uh, but I would go there for a few months a few weeks at a time a few times a year and that we realized that was not we're not going to have an impact if I do that um, so while the first year and a half was spent going to Geneva, to New York, to Vienna, Nairobi, all these are different UN centers to understand what's going on there, what are the mechanisms that exist there that we as an NGO can use, and then to be trying to clarify the issues that we want to take up, um, I, I realized that in that time I couldn't have too much impact, although we were working with other groups on issues where I think we did have some sort of impact. Um, and my conclusion out of all of that is that we, we had a good decision 20 years back that we should be focused primarily on Geneva, where the Human Rights Council is. And uh, But at the same time, I realized that it would be very, really valuable to be in New York, which is the UN head office and where the Security Council sits, because I thought uh, my hope and my dream is that we would have someone working full-time here who can engage with the Security Council where all, most of the power in the UN resides. But to, to be able to have an uh, effect on a day-to-day basis, Geneva is the easiest place to be because that is where uh, NGOs have much easier access to the state, uh, the government missions and the ambassadors can talk to them much easier. There's, uh, and there are many more mechanisms there where you need to make interventions and engage on issues. So I've been trying to deepen that presence, and I realized we couldn't do it without some full-time presence. So just uh, in the last few months, we employed someone to be full-time in Geneva for us, and I am in regular contact with her, and she uh, is following up all the issues that we are wanting to engage with there. So I've sent up a small team of Dominicans, those brothers that lay Dominicans in Geneva, I mean in, in Vienna and in Nairobi, we're still trying to strengthen their um, presence there to see how they can engage there. And, and depending on how that goes, hopefully we will engage more at all those levels because I thought since the Dominicans are everywhere, we don't have to limit ourselves to one place. We could uh, engage in all the areas where we can have an impact on the UN. We are here in the UN only to take up the issues that our Dominicans on the ground are dealing with that are too big for them to handle there. So for us to be effective here, we need to know what they are doing. So I've spent a lot of time over the last two years in communication with our Dominicans everywhere to understand their issues. And I've visited quite a number of countries, especially those that are doing things that we believe um, are the types of things that we can focus on here. So. After all of this, I have uh, identified 
two main issues that we are wanting to focus on. The first one's issues of war and peace because we have Dominicans present in many of the war zones and I visited many of those zones in the last year. So I visited the Ukraine, I visited Central African Republic, Burundi, Iraq. I went to Mexico, Colombia and Venezuela and Brazil. And out of all of these, uh, we we're trying to take up the issues and advocate for them. So some of the areas that we've made most, done most of our advocacy on have been Iraq and uh, Burundi. We also focusing on others, as I say, like Dominican Republic and uh, and other freedom of religion issues in places like Pakistan, etc. Then the second main priority that we focus on is what we call business and human rights, focusing on. Uh, looking at the role that big multi, especially transnational corporations are playing, going into areas with impunity and devastating populations and livelihoods and environments. So we are trying to uh, make a big uh, effort to get those transnational corporations regulated and to make them accountable and to stop the devastation that they are doing. Whether these companies are normally in complicity with local governments, are doing mining or cutting down forests, uh, buying up land, it's called land grabbing and leaving people with nothing. All these things which have an impact in turn on the environment, on climate change, and especially the biggest victims of all this are normally the indigenous people, the people on the ground who are from whom land is taken. So this takes up land issues, it brings into play the housing issues, and uh, and that that that's the example I gave you of where we focus on a question of evictions in Dominican Republic. We also focus on that same question in Brazil, and uh, there are many other places, especially in Africa, where there's lots of so-called land grabbing that's taking place. So we're trying to get more involved into in the harness in stopping the transnational corporations and governments from doing that. So those are the two mm -hmm. broad areas where we're involved. And yeah. So for that to happen, we we engage with all the climate change issues. We, we part the participating in the meeting in Paris that took place last December of the COP21. Mm -hmm. We've been participating in other things around the land grabbing in Africa and other parts of the world. And we, we're trying to... Um, collaborate with others and with other networks and coalitions that are trying to stop those issues. Mm -hmm. And then how long has the Dominicans uh, been involved in this political landscape? It was decided about 20 years ago that we should have a presence in the UN. So mm -hmm. from about 1996, that's when it began. Uh, it took a while to get it established and settled and decided where we would be, etc. Um, so we effectively started operating in Geneva in 19, towards the end of 1997. So it's just about uh, 18, 19 years now. Um, in the meantime, uh, the Dominican Sisters also established uh, a presence in, the in, in New York. And it started with the Sisters of the United States, and now it's broadened out to be Dominican Sisters International. And they have a delegate full-time in New York, so I collaborate a lot with her. We're trying to work on things together. And they also started more or less at the same time. Both of us 
uh, we, both our organizations got uh, official status with uh, the UN in 2002, so that's about uh, 14 years ago, after having worked there for a few years under the banner of other, under the umbrella of other NGOs, but we've had our own status for the last 14 years. All so, right. So uh-huh. we're looking at 14 to 20 years of operation. Okay. And then, Father, on a personal level, what motivates you to do this kind of work? Well, um, my whole life, in some ways, and my whole faith has been inspired by a deep sense of the, the suffering, the injustices that are going around, starting from our own situation in South Africa, um, living under apartheid, and uh, being appalled by the injustices that <coughs> existed there. Uh, in fact, it was uh, my faith, my Christian faith, my faith in Jesus and understanding what he, what, the way he saw life, the way he saw God's kingdom, the way he saw the, the, the road to peace, that it motivated me to see that if that I... If I wanted meaning in my life, I had to be involved in trying to remove those injustices and, and bringing about a situation of, of peace and justice. So that has been at the heart of what, for me, my faith is. And um, I suppose it, it relates to my understanding of Jesus, the fact that I think Jesus was someone who who was full of compassion. He, his heart was in it. It wasn't sort of an intellectual issue. He, he, when he encountered suffering, when he encountered people who were being unjustly treated, he got very angry. He got very uh, sympathetic to the, the victims. And uh, that has left a big mark on me. And uh, I suppose it's something I would want to aspire to and hope to grow in. And, um, and I think that when you look at all the injustices that exist around the world, whether we talk about our local, uh, our local town, or even our local church, or our local family, and all the way up to the, the world, the global community, all of these injustices are the consequence of the ways in which um, governance is happening at every level, the power, the ways in which power is being um, exerted, asserted. The ways in which uh, policies and laws are being and rules are being made, which end up making some people uh, less uh, uh, less equal in others, etc. Mm. So, unless we tackle those things, we will never have the good news that Jesus came to preach. So, mm. so all I'm doing is part of what I understand as evangelization. This is bringing the good news of, that Jesus wants to bring to the poor, the oppressed, the sick. The, you know, the the offenders, those in jail, etc., uh, and and I think that by operating at um, at broader levels and trans- and helping the transformation of policies, of rules, of laws, um, those in power to to change their ways, those who are the victims of uh, of the laws, etc., that have been made. How to empower them to ma- enable them to feel that they are, they do can, they can have a voice. They can stand for their rights. They can discover good news that Jesus offers. 
these are all the things that uh, inspire me to mm. to be part of that process. And I think the fact that I've been given this opportunity to work at this level is a great, uh, well, it's a, it's a great honor for me and a great uh, lesson too, because it, it gives me access to um, situations and people, lives that I would never otherwise have had. So I, I'm very grateful for this opportunity, and I, I can just do the best I can to to bring it uh, to use with the, the experience and the insights I have to, to help those situations. But I can't do it alone, and, and I, I realize how to do that. I've got to develop very good relationships with people everywhere, so we're working together. Mm-hmm. So it's an animating, and, uh, and it's a role of... Um, community building in a way. Yeah. More or less what motivates me. Seeing that you've done a, a, a lot of work for justice and peace back here in South Africa, and of course you're continuing to do that, would you say that what you are doing now is the climax of your involvement in Catholic social action? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it climax because that implies um, maybe more important than others. I think that the work I've done in the past sometimes was maybe more important in terms of its impact that I could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just see it as having a different role at a different time. And uh, um, but the fact that I've been given this responsibility at a global level, I suppose, um, is, uh, is something I would have to take seriously and, uh, and uh, which, in that sense, is a is a bigger responsibility than maybe I would have had before, um, but who knows? You know, <laughs> whether it's a climax or not. But it's certainly um, for me, it's it's a it's a, a wonderful opportunity to to be able to operate at this broadest level mm-hmm. of um, of seeking justice in the world. Yes. And then lastly, Father, how do you expect Catholics in South Africa to support this kind of work? What I mean by this is if someone is fascinated by the type of work that you do and uh, is there a possibility that they can also get involved and how can they get involved? I think that the main way in which we can all be involved is to recognize that whatever we're doing on the ground can also be supported by what's going on at the broader level. So, for example, if there are issues of injustice happening on the ground, as I know, for example, in South Africa, mm-hmm. there are quite a lot of cases of these uh, transnational corporations coming in, trying to push people off their land in order to do mining, things like that. Mm. And often you find government is supporting them. In that context, it's, just, uh, it's very difficult to, for them to stand up to the big powers of the government and the big corporations. If the people on the ground were to um, write up the issue, um, uh, have clear facts about it, and communicate with us at this level, we can take what they're sending us and we can make a noise about it at the global level, which in turn hopefully can can put pressure on the government to to respond to that issue. And, uh, for example, just recently with that issue of the assassination of the of the leader of the, the community in on the wild coast in Ponderland, I've been trying to find out more facts and figures about the issue and asking people what 
what uh, what types of things we should be taking up at the broad levels, and I'm I'm just waiting to hear more about that. Um, so these are some of the the issues that we that we can work together on, and that's just one example. But but I think that. Um, if there are any other issues on the ground, we can use the examples that you're given to make a broader issue and even to put pressure on the states from the international perspective. Because when you mention a country here, either through a one-on-one um, engagement with them or if, they don't, uh, if they're not open to that, we can make a statement in the broader session mm. that puts pressure on the country to, to respond to the issue. So we can... So hopefully, if we if people on the ground can keep in touch with us, and I'm always open to that type of communication, then we can see how we can collaborate to, to tackle a local issue. Well, Father, thank you so much for your time. Those were all the questions I had for you. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add. Well, I think that maybe the main thing is, uh, maybe it's related to that last question. You know, we need to realize that... Uh, we're all in this together, and what I'm doing at this level, if it's not connected to what you're doing at your level, then maybe I'm wasting my time. And that's why, you know, I would love us to be in touch with what's going on to see how we can collaborate to, to, to tackle all these issues of injustice, lack of violations of human rights, etc. And uh, and for people to realize that this is an integral part of their faith. So we need to use this experience to also help people realize that we're not just here playing politics, we're here to evangelize. And, uh, and evangelizing isn't just uh, getting people to go to church, etc. Evangelizing is really bringing good news to people at every aspect of their lives. And how can we all be part of doing that? So... My, if my job at this level enables me to communicate that message to people, then I think that's, that's half the battle won. Part of the problem is that many people can't see the connection between this and going to church and their faith. And I think that the, the crucial point for all of us is to see that if I really believe in Jesus, I have to be trying to bring good news how am I doing that in my little world and how can I work together with those who are doing it at other levels because they're all interconnected. So if we can use this experience and this work to help people understand more deeply what is evangelization, um, then I think uh, is hope for the world. Thank you. Thank you very much, Father. Okay, thank you very much, Sheila, and God bless you and all your listeners, and I hope we, we can build up a good collaboration in the future. And that was the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's General Promoter of Justice and Peace, Father Mike Deep, talking to us about the Church and the UN. You've been listening to The Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.